today with me is Tisha. And in between the two of us is Trevor. Trevor, he's our sound guy and all around nice guy. Um, we are two type 1 diabetics with 60 years combined diagnosis. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, scary when you think about it. Um, <laughs> but we are here to bring you that one type podcast, a type 1 podcast, broadcasting from Albuquerque, New Mexico, the land of enchantment. And we are here to just tell you our story and talk about what diabetes is, what it isn't, uh, the fallacies and the myths and the realities as well of what it is to be a type 1. Uh, and every type 1 is a superhero. People don't realize what it takes every day to get up and manage this condition uh, and go to bed and manage this condition and to think like a pancreas. It's <laughs> a famous title of a book. Um, but think like a pancreas because we are, we are our own pancreas 24-7. Um, so yes. this is our origin story. And every origin, every superhero has an origin, also has a nemesis. And our nemesis is Thanopancreae, <laughs> the dead pancreas. So uh, we... Uh, we pay homage to someone special when we say that. So, um, so I'm going to let Tisha start her origin story and tell us how she came to be the superhero that she is, and then I will uh, follow up with mine. So, Tisha, tell us how you came into the world of being a superhero. So, I have been type 1 diabetic for 23 years, and um, I was 7 years old when I was diagnosed. Uh, after talking to family members that I could talk to, I found out a lot of parts of the stories. So, um, I was in February, I was diagnosed of 1997. So I was on my way to Vegas to visit my dad. My aunt was driving me out there. And a week before that, my grandma was trying to convince my mom not to let me go because I was sick. I was losing weight. I didn't want to eat. My eyes were really dark. And my grandma said that I didn't look good and that I shouldn't went. But um, I'm very hard-headed. And I convinced my mom to let me go anyways. I see that hasn't changed. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> um, but So then I went and out there in Vegas with my grandparents. I got really sick. I was to the point where I was vomiting, couldn't hold anything down. I was cradled in the fetal position by the bathroom. And that's when my dad decided to take me to the emergency room. And um, at the emergency room, um, my mom was on the phone with my grandparents as much as she could be. But because my parents were separated, they, uh, my mom was my person, my guardian, my legal guardian. So after running tests and everything, the doctors were convinced I had appendicitis. And I was going to have to get surgery to get my appendix removed. Um, but they couldn't do surgery until my mom was there to sign consent forms. So my mom, as soon as she found out, her and my grandma and my grandpa and my stepdad at the time all got in the car and started driving to Vegas. But my mom told them if there was any way they could delay it, because she isn't going to have a cell phone. They're not going to have a way to get a hold of her or nothing. And um, the doctor said he would run more blood work to delay it. And he ran an A1C on me. And the A1C came back as my blood sugar being 724. Wow. My mom 
remembered the exact number. She didn't even think about it when she told me. She just knew it right off the bat. 724 was my blood sugar on my A1C. Um, the doctors didn't know how I was alive and I haven't went into a diabetic coma yet. Yeah. They couldn't figure that one out. Can I ask a question, Tim? When sure. Yeah. A1C, you said? Yeah, A1C. So it's the hemoglobin. Like blood sugar level? The hemoglobin A1C, um, or otherwise known as the glycosylated hemoglobin. Yeah. So hemoglobin lasts about 90 days in your body before okay. your body makes new. Okay. Uh, okay. Hemoglobin also attracts glucose. Okay. okay, okay. Glucose is attracted to it. Yeah. Uh, so the hemoglobin A1C is a measurement of how much glucose is bound to the hemoglobin um, when they test it. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And then that is a percentage. Um, in the United States, it's a, a percentage. In the UK, it's a millimole. Um, but for us, the, what we're looking for uh, for a diabetic is 7 or under, 7% seven or under. 7 or under, and yeah. that's 720? So 7% seven, 7 is about 120 milligrams. And that's when it starts to get dangerous is 120? Well, no, it starts to get dangerous at about 300, oh, okay. roughly. Um, so at 700, it's a, it's a wonder that she wasn't in DK, diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, so the body is trying to get rid of all this um, nasty stuff. So... Um, your body produces ketones, which in essence are a nail polish remover. So real nail polish remover is um, ketone acid, uh, and that's what your body produces. And so your body is trying to get rid of it. Uh, so you, you go into a, a weird breathing pattern, your blood gases are all askew, uh, and it can lead to coma and then ultimately death. Uh, and we see that a lot in children, especially, you know, in Tisha's age when she was diagnosed. Um, if they miss the diagnosis, then the next thing you know, the parents go in to wake them up for breakfast and they're unconscious or dead in bed, uh, which is a syndrome called dead in bed. That happens a lot. It, um, one every five minutes, there's oh a new dead God. in bed victim. Um, and that's specifically from undiagnosed type one? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Jesus. Uh, so... Uh, what age does that typically happen at? The diagnosis or the dead oh, in bed? The dead in bed. Thing. Oh, de dead in bed can be anybody that has type you can, one. Because you can like live with it for a while and not know it. Oh, you can live with diabetes, undiagnosed diabetes, for a while until you get into that ketotic state, yeah, the PKA yeah, yeah. state. Um, because it's also well, type two is a little slower in its development. Type one is a little more Opposite. rapid in its progressive. This, um, does, does that ketotic state get triggered by anything in particular? Like, had you like eaten something that day that that had triggered it or something like that? No, it, no it's, it's work purely like from lack of insulin. Oh. So when you're looking at these um, keto diets, mm -hmm. um, the reason that they control your carbohydrate intake mm -hmm. is that if at above 14 grams of carbohydrate in your diet your body will produce insulin. Mm -hmm. Insulin stops ketosis, mm -hmm. stops your body from destroying. Well, in the ketos ketosis diet, it burns fat, which the byproduct is also ketones. Um, but in a diabetic who's going into diabetic ketoacidosis, it's burning fat and protein. So you have muscle wasting. Mm -hmm. um, so you're losing weight, um, but you're also destroying muscle. Uh, and then you get to this... You, now, I'm sure you were very thirsty, very hungry. Well, you were hungry because you had no appetite because yeah. that it had turned that off. But I'm sure you were incredibly thirsty. You were dehydrated. Yeah, you were... I remember my grandma and mom telling me stories all the time. You would drink so much 
You drink so much Kool-Aid. I felt like I was making Kool-Aid all day. Right, and unless they were making the sugar-free Kool-Aid, you were just killing that cycle because you were drinking sugared Kool-Aid. Yeah. And that was just raising your blood sugar. And so as intelligent as the body is, and you know, I, I give the creator great credit because the body is really intelligent. It is stupid when it comes to blood sugar. So all it knows is that I need sugar in the system. Um, even if you have a blood sugar of 500, if it's not outside into the muscles and the cells, it says, well, you might as well have a blood sugar of 50. Right. So what can I do? Well, I can tell you to eat. That's the first step, eat. So people eat. Well, now blood sugar goes up because they're eating. Um, brain goes, nope, didn't work. Um, now I'm going to start breaking down, well, breaking down fat, breaking down protein, um, kicking your liver in because your, kick, your liver's going to um, kick in uh, seglucagon uh, through a process that's going to tell your pancreas to, to spurt glucagon, which is going to raise your blood sugar. Uh, so blood sugar is still going to go up, but the brain doesn't see it. Uh, and then eventually DKA happens. And um, from the hyperglycemia, the high blood sugar, you're tired, you're lethargic. Um, you have no energy. I know that's lethargic, but you mm -hmm. have literally no None. energy. That's crazy. Um, and so all you want to do is sleep and drink. And I don't yeah. know about you, Tish, but for me, the colder, the better. You know, if it was ice cold, yeah. boy, that was that was the bomb, you know. Um, but then it was gone like that. You need it more because you were so dehydrated. Because you're also urinating because your body gets rid of glucose through urine. Oh. And so you're urinating like crazy. Um, so um, so we do an A1C to, to measure how well uh, we're being managed, how well the, yeah. the diabetes medications and all the therapies that are being managed. So. Good question, though. Cool. Well, so. sorry to interrupt. I was just curious at, like, how dangerous, like, like how high 720 actually was. Yeah, it's dangerously it, it was, high. It was high. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen higher in, in individuals, but seven 700 is high. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's an emergency. Um, so then they got the A1C back, and I didn't. I still have my appendix, guys, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Didn't need to get that removed. It would have been amazing if they had taken the appendix out and the diabetes went away. They should have tried that. Yeah, they yeah. could have. I mean, I don't know if they would have. You don't need the appendix <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, no. New frontier um, medicine with Tim. Yeah. yeah. So they they, so. they canceled the surgery because obviously mom arrived. Had mom arrived when they got the A1C back? Uh, no, she was still driving. So she was still driving and they and were they able to cancel me. the surgery. Said, hey, we, we got this A1C. So then they moved you up to the pediatric ward? Um, I don't know how it all happened. I do know before I went anywhere, my blood sugar had to be brought down. Right. And it took them a while to help manage my diabetes because I kept going up and up and up. Right. But um, from since day one, I was insulin resistant. So um, insulin resistant is um, when your body doesn't accept the insulin that you're putting into it. So. Being the type 1 diabetic, I had to take the insulin shots every day. And because there's different types of insulin, your body just rejects it. So it helps for a certain period of time, but wears off really fast because your body just doesn't like it. Right. Um, so what kind of insulin did you have to end up taking? So I actually have to rotate my insulins to this day every few months because your body gets used to the cer to the certain types of them and then you and then I become resistant yeah mm -hmm. so I've done Humalog, Novolog, Atlantis, um 
I've done a lot of short acting and fact fast acting insulins. Right. Um, but yeah, so that took a while to figure out. And my mom said I was in the hospital for a couple of days because they couldn't release me from the hospital until she could successfully give me my insulin shots. Now, in your your grandmother, your mother's mm-hmm. mother, right? Isn't yeah. she diabetic? Yes, so she was is. Was that something your mother had been used to doing, or did she not in, get involved in your grandma's? She didn't do anything for my grandma's. Oh, okay. um, my grandma did it all. Okay. Um, but we have the other independent type one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she. My grandma's was onset after pregnancy. Okay. Um, but I do have other family members that are type one too. So my mom knew about it. She right. just, she, I don't know. She was also young at the time. She had me young, so mm-hmm. she was a younger mom. So I could imagine her being terrified. Sure, sure. And then uh, she was also back here, and you were yeah. in Vegas, and oh, yeah. She must have felt hopeless, helpless, right. just all of it. Yeah. Even to this day, when I was talking to her about it yesterday, she started crying. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. a pretty traumatic diagnosis. Well, for a parent. To be mm-hmm. told that their child is going to have a lifelong condition. Yeah. Um, that, depending on who you talk to, could be the end of the world mm-hmm. um, because people don't have any tact. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. And, and always tell you about the worst things that they've seen people experience. And here you have this seven-year-old um, that you're trying not to think about losing a foot or kidney disease or blindness or... Uh, any of the number of things that it can cause, and they're just rambling on about Uncle Joe who lost his foot. This is the doctors saying stuff. No, no, no. This is friends and family. Friends um, and yeah, yeah. We'll have another conversation about that about the the, the dumb things that we hear uh, and things that our our family's been told and that we've been told. You know, people will tell us that to our face, stupid things. Um, you know, it's it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, With friends like these, who needs WebMD? <sighs> yeah. 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 They're the ones that come into the doctors that know everything about their uh-huh. diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Here, eat the cinnamon. You'll, you'll cure fun. your diabetes. Yeah. And then swallow it, follow it up with a swig of, of cucumber juice because that, that makes mm-hmm. it last longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So my mom had to learn how to give me, successfully give me a shot before she could take me out of the hospital. Right. right. And bring me home. So did they teach you in the hospital or did they leave it up to mom? They didn't give you any of the responsibility whatsoever. Um, they didn't. I don't remember them. Um, no. no. I uh, got a lot of my education from Pink Panther workbooks that they made for the kids. Okay. And also Diabetes Camp. So you did go to Diabetes Camp? I did, yes. Okay, well, we're definitely going to talk about that. So um, that, I think that's the greatest thing that they ever created. So that's good. That's another conversation. We have to put that on the list. Yes, um, we do. So um, cool. Um so I want to touch on the insulin resistance. Um, so yours is kind of unique that your body is resisting at a point, mm-hmm. you know, after you've been on it for a while, then you have to switch, which is not unusual for, for a lot of medications that, that aren't even diabetes medications, Yeah. Um, like um, the proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec and those kinds mm-hmm. of medications. Um, a patient might be on them for five, six years and they're fine, and then all of a sudden they start getting indigestion and the... the Prilosec's not working. Yeah. And they just change it to something else in that same family, and it works. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, essentially, and I know Big Pharma is going to hate me for saying this, um, but essentially all the insulins are the same. They have not truly changed chemically since Banting discovered it. Yeah. Um, 
they've just refined it. But the chemical makeup of insulin, same, mm-hmm. has not changed. Uh, the only thing that has changed with insulin is the price, and we'll talk about that too. Um, <laughs> so, um, but there is another type of insulin resistance. So type 2 diabetics, uh, that's their primary reason for being diabetics is they are insulin resistant. So their body is resisting the insulin that they make. It's not utilizing it. So the cells are just blocking off the ability to receive the insulin so that it can take it into the muscles and use it. Yeah. Um, and so their blood sugars go up because the insulin is not being used. The other thing is that your liver filters out 50 to 70% of the insulin that you take before it even gets into your body. So, you know, if you take 10 units, 70% seven units of that 10 units doesn't even get used. And then you have someone like Tisha that's resistant and that remaining three may only use a half a unit. And so she's got to take a lot of insulin. Um, and so people uh, are, are suffering from that. And, and now the medical profession is also recognizing that type ones can also be insulin resistant like type twos. Right. Um, and so we take a, a, a mega dose of insulin that for someone... What's a megadose? Um, I have taken um, combined in a day three, four hundred units. Mm-hmm. I use about, uh, I say I use about fifteen hundred units of insulin a week. Yeah. And that's daily. Yeah, so I use about three hundred daily, yes. Yeah. So, and that's due to the resistance. A majority mm-hmm. of what she's taking in is not being utilized. And for our listeners who obviously can't see uh-huh. what we're doing, um, Tisha is little. <laughs> she, you, you wouldn't think that she would be insulin resistant because of how she's built. So it's not unusual you know, for a heavy weight, heavy set person to be insulin resistant. That's not Tisha. That's kind of me, actually. Um, but I'm not as big as I was. Because insulin... Because insulin resistance is so associated with type 2 diabetes that is so associated with uh, uh, comorbidity with, like, high BMI, like mm-hmm. it's not typically associated with, with smaller people. Is that what you're, Correct. What, what you're saying? Correct. But there's no reason that a small person sh- wouldn't be insulin resistant, right? No, they're, they're, they could be. It's not the body size. No. I mean, okay. just that... The, the correlation is the bigger you are, the greater chance you have of insulin resistance. I mean, there are typically, people, typically, there are people that the are... comorbidity with type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, there are people that are runners that have no body fat whatsoever right. who are type 2. Right, 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 right. Which leads us into, what do we understand about diabetes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, that is just such a crapshoot, apparently. Exactly. And so, you know, they look at this 7-year-old... Mm-hmm. And go, why are your blood sugars still going up? We're giving you more than enough insulin. Your blood sugar should be responding. <laughs> um, and then they blame it on her. What are you doing? Because I'm sure somebody has asked you, are you sure you're not eating? Yeah, no. Are you sure you're not sneaking mm-hmm. things? You know, Do you have candy under your pillow? Uh, they always blame the diabetic mm-hmm. when their blood sugar is askew. Like to this day, even as an adult. Your doctor asks you stuff like that? Oh, yeah. 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 Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you getting enough exercise? <laughs> are you drinking enough water? Are yeah. you eating the diabetic diet? It's mm-hmm. constant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we 
we don't have that conversation in my office, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> oh, just 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 because you know how much of a slap in the face it is to, to have that conversation. Well, I'm talking about with my provider. So with my diabetes provider, we don't oh, have. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. I, we don't have. The, I I made it clear when I got here and I found her. Yeah. These are how we're we're going to talk, and these are how we're not going to talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's a great um, that's a great kind of guideline to to have. Yeah. Yeah. See, but he's older, so you respect him and what he says. Coming from me, a younger adult well, comes off as lady, yeah, isn't, comes off as rude and disrespectful. And isn't that a huge thing in medicine? Like doctors always being like, you know, kind of untrusting. Yeah. And like paternalistic. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, well, you know, they, unfortunately, there is a lot of docs are still in that mindset of "do as I say." Yeah. Right. I know I'm the doctor. Yeah. Um, but you know, most of my relationships with my my doctors has been, you know, I've had this disease longer than you've been in medicine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, right, right, some right. some of my providers, I've had this right. disease longer than you've been on the earth. Right. Um, I've I, told a provider, I was like. This is my body. Like, I know. And I know standards are changing daily, but this is what works for me. The right. standards don't work for everybody. You have to manipulate them to where they fit your patient. Mm -hmm. Because they, you give this one standard, it doesn't work for that person. Right. There isn't right. a universal standard. I wish there was. It would be so much easier just to fill in the blanks and go, okay, that works. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. They're, they're jumping off points, and mm. you move up and you move down. Um, you know, I had a conversation in a, in a conference last week uh, with a gentleman whose two sons were diabetic, type 1 diabetic. Um, they're six years apart in their diagnosis. Um, and they had a great practice, and then they moved. And they moved to a new practice, which was not so great. And the boys now were adults. They had aged into the adult system. Um, and they realized that they needed to manage their diabetes because the person that they were seeing, one, was too busy. Yeah. And two, didn't really know how to manage their diabetes, even though they were an endocrinologist and that was their specialty. You know, what they ended up saying to that, that provider was, we're going to manage it and we'll let you know what we do. Mm -hmm. And if we have a problem, we'll ask for your advice. Uh, and that's kind of how I've been managing with my people yeah. is – this is this is my body. I know how to deal with it if it goes askew, but sometimes I need help. Even though I'm a nurse and a diabetes educator, I need help. That's where I want you to be, mm -hmm. uh, and write the prescriptions. <laughs> um, you know, because we can't get around that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, so insulin resistance is a big is a big issue in the type one community because it's not acknowledged. Yeah, it's it, overlooked it, a lot. In what way? Um, because you get that, well, are you sure you're not, you're not doing something wrong? Yeah. And or let's increase your carb count. Let's increase yeah, your ratio for your blood sugar. Right. Let's increase your ratio, which increases your insulin, which should be okay. Well then that means maybe there's some resistance if we're increasing the insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't, there's a disconnect mm -hmm. for some reason when they're thinking that way. And, yeah. and I understand they have a hundred different things to think of too. But sometimes, you know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, you know, let's let's look at it. How recently was that discovered as a as a kind of variant of, of type one, like as something that can exist within a type one patient? Um, probably in the last ten years, maybe. really. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Wow. 
It is crazy. Um, so you you mentioned to me when we were talking earlier that, mm-hmm. that um, part of the lab work they had done was a C-peptide. Yeah. Um, so a C-peptide test, uh, when your body produces insulin, there's a leftover called the C-peptide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the tests that they run to confirm diagnosis. If you have zero C-peptide, your pancreas is not producing insulin. Um, so when I was seven years old, I had zero. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, I still don't have any. That's good. It means your pancreas didn't yeah. regenerate. So, no. Um, you know, as much as you tried and you hoped and you prayed, yeah. just didn't do it. Um, regenerate? I was joking. Oh, <laughs> Dude, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, your pancreas does other things other than produce insulin, yeah. um, but the beta cell, the body's just stopped producing the beta cell. Uh, so it's not producing any insulin, so you have zero, pe- zero C-peptide. And that's mm-hmm. really the gold standard. If you really want to prove that you have type 1 diabetes, mm. run a C-peptide. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, run um, antibodies if you want to look for autoimmune. Is the body destroying itself? Is there insulin antibodies? Um, that, those are relative, relatively, the antibody test is relatively new within probably the last 20 years. Um, and the C-peptide, well, that was been around for a while. But it's expensive, so they don't usually run it. Are they not all expensive? Um, depends. It depends. Huh. Yeah, uh, I think the A1C test is like sixty bucks. Yeah, it's not too bad. Okay, um, cool. but if you don't have sixty dollars and yeah. they say you need an A1C test, right? You, know, you have to decide. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, on top of you've got that, on top of your kidney tests and all the other tests that they want to run that they do every three months. You know, and if you don't have insurance or whatever, those things can add up. Um, so they're, you know, they can become very costly. So, so mom managed to figure out the the insulin injection thing. Yeah, and so were you doing couple days um, syringe and vial, or had they given you pens at that point? Um, it was syringe and vial. Okay, I hadn't gotten pens yet. Okay, and were you doing um, two two types? Or are you doing a long and um, a bolus? No, I've always done two types okay. my whole life. So you so. know, Atlantis or something of yeah. that nature. Okay. All right. So um, as a type one, because we make no insulin whatsoever, um, we always need to have what's called a background insulin um, or basal insulin. Um, so that's usually Atlantis in most cases. Uh, and it, it runs just kind of in the background trying to keep any spikes from happening when you're not eating. So your body's producing glucose all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's trying to maintain, and then we give what's called a bolus for when we eat, and there's a formula, um, which is, they've, they've come a long way in that formula, yeah. and it's usually pretty accurate now, so you figure out how many grams of carbohydrate you're going to eat, and we know how many units per how many grams. Well, yeah. Math. Uh, yes, um, the, the average diabetic does math all day long. But it um, becomes second nature. It like, does. You just, you just know it you just off the top of your head. It. Yep. So you've got that. You're taking your insulin before you eat, uh, trying to figure out, looking at a meal, like, you know, looking at what we ordered tonight and going, all right, so how many grams of carb do you think that is? Uh, mm-hmm. And where are the hidden, are there any hidden carbs? Like, is it a sauce that's sweetened that you don't know about? Mm. Um, well, that's all carbohydrates. Um, yeah. So that can screw you up because now you didn't count on it. Mm-hmm. And now your blood sugar is spiking. So now we have another formula for when your blood sugar is spiking. You're going, okay, well, this is what it is. This is where I want it to be. Plug in the numbers, take more insulin, um, and hope it works. And hope there's not something in the background, you know, 
Right. Like, yeah. Pizza is delicious, but it's a killer. There's all the dang fat in it. Mm. Because fat takes a while to raise your blood sugar. So just when you think you got it right, and an hour later you're good, Pops two up. hours later you're at 300. It's, mm-hmm. it's slower than your grains. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so fat is the last thing to process in your body mm. um, as far as becoming energy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's, it's carbohydrates, which you can process right in your mouth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then proteins, and then fat. So, you know, and then you've got you know, thin slice versus Chicago slice versus deep dish, and, <laughs> you know, and then whatever else you're going to put on it. Um, and everything just, adds up. It's everything just adds crazy. up. Yeah, and then of course there's dessert, and that yeah. just screws you up too. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes you just go, all right, well I'm going to eat, it, and then we'll see what the blood sugar is and fix it. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and that takes even longer because it comes last. Yeah. 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 So, and then in the meantime, you're feeling like crap. It tasted good, but, you know, mm-hmm. you're just feeling like crap. So mom um, took you home. So I came home, and then um, she got me into my primary care, got me into a pediatric endocrinologist that specialized in diabetes, mm-hmm. um, and it went from there. They told me I didn't have to stop any of my activities. I stayed doing everything. I was mm-hmm. cheerleading. I was gymnastics. I did it all. Um, and they told me I didn't have to stop. My mom asked if it, I had to stop. And they said, no, cool. stay living your active lifestyle. Great. Stay active. Keep living yeah. your active lifestyle. Yeah. Which, you know, that was, um, that's a change from how it used to be way back when. It was once you got diagnosed, man, they were like, well, you stay in the house, you stay in bed. Um, you don't do anything because... We don't want anything to happen to you. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, insulin was unstable, and you know, and, and before that, with no insulin, you died. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, when when Banting discovered insulin, he he ran across the street literally to the hospital um, with his ground up a dog pancreas. Uh, that's what it was, it was dog pancreas, ground up dog pancreas, pancreas, and um, injected it into a child that they didn't think was going to make it through the night, and within an hour, she was up and walking around yeah that's awesome yeah um and you know they they ran back across the street to the lab and started producing more because uh, they had a whole ward of kids um, it acts that quickly huh oh yeah oh yeah yeah and can you feel it can you feel like a difference in like your level of energy yeah i can uh, yeah once once your blood sugar gets to a certain level you uh, yeah you're you're just like oh wow you know, you don't feel, I don't know that you feel better. You just don't feel bad anymore. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like your body was sick, but now it's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, you're tired. And I know for me, my eyes are burning. My eyes are heavy. Um, no energy. You know, at about 300, just no energy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, just thirsty. Mouth is dry. Yeah. Yeah. It's and horrible. you go to the bathroom and... Um, you know, that's, that's a whole other story, bathroom stories. Um, <laughs> um, you know, because there's things that happen in the bathroom. Um, but, yeah, once your blood sugar comes down, then you start feeling better. You just, mm-hmm. okay, you feel normal, really, is what it is. Yeah. You just, you're homeostasis. You know, yeah. You're, you're just one with the world again. But when it's high, you're, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're against the world. Mm. Um, you know, and all you want to do is eat and drink and... You know, if you're conscious and your blood sugar's up, you know, there's your body's telling you, well, you need more, you need more sugar, so eat. And if you're stubborn and don't test, you're just making the problem worse. Stubborn. 
Yeah. Yeah. Stubborn. stubborn. Yeah. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to eat. I'm hungry. I'm just oh, hungry. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm just hungry. I, I'm, I don't need to test. I'm just hungry. Um, yeah. And then you test and find out that you're not hungry. But too late, you already had a donut. Mm-hmm. So, so after you left the hospital, did mom, like, immediately put you in the car and drive you back to Albuquerque? Um, I'm not too sure about that. All I know is... You were is asleep in the back seat. Yeah, 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 I was out. I was done. Mm-hmm. That was a long few days. Okay. And then you, so when, you, when were you diagnosed? 90? 90... 97. 97. Okay. So Diet Coke was out. Uh-huh. Um, so then you learned to appreciate Diet Coke. Yeah. Uh, so. The only thing that really wasn't out is I remember my mom, like if we went to dinner, she had to take the book of like carbs. The exchange book? Yes. Yeah. We had the exchange book. Um, so that was always different because back then the restaurants didn't have the menus right accessible like they do now yeah and they didn't yeah. even have nutrition facts at the restaurants back then either right. no, so. no 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 the ada produced them i mean most yeah. of the restaurant most of the chains contributed to the ada's book of exchange and you had restaurant. to look in the book for everything yep. you're gonna eat for everything yeah mm-hmm. yeah and surprisingly look at certain things and go really there's so many carbs in that yeah i mean like uh, mcdonald's salad full of carbs it is yeah. Yeah. Dressing. Well, dressing and croutons and croutons. um, so Richard Bernstein. Do you know who Richard Bernstein is? No. So Richard Bernstein is a famous diabetologist. Um, he's also type one. Um, he was also an engineer prior to going to med school, and he said, you know, we've got to figure something out. We've got to make diabetes easier to manage. So he went to med school, and. Um, He's a little strict. Uh, I, I like some of the things he does. He, he treats mostly type twos, okay. but um, like he, he one of part of his guidance is you don't take more than seven units in one spot mm-hmm. because it, it inflames the area and that can cause your blood sugar to go up. And I'm thinking at the time I take a hundred units in one shot, man, it's gonna take a lot of sticks. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but did you ever try that? Uh, no, yeah. no. Um, I, I didn't buy into that theory. Okay, um, okay. So, but he, he tells a story about he had a patient who um, he was trying to get uh, to change her eating habits and things. And he said, you know, um, what have you done? And she says, well, um, I'm eating salads now, but my blood sugar is still going up. And he said, hmm, okay. So um, how much salad are you eating? She says, well, a head of lettuce at a meal. Well, a serving of lettuce has about seven grams of carbohydrate yeah. and there's probably 10 servings in a head of lettuce. So she wasn't accounting for all the carb that was in lettuce um, because she was thinking, well, it's lettuce. Why would yeah, lettuce right. have carbohydrates? Right. Yeah, no, it? it's yeah. like the same thing with bananas. People are like, Oh, bananas have that many carbs? Yeah. Ban- the sugar, right? the, bananas yeah. have a lot of carbs. Bananas they, they have a lot of carbs. Nutrient and, dense. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like 22 grams of carbohydrates yeah. in, and in a small banana. So a serving size of a banana is about six inches. Okay. And think about the bananas you see in the grocery yeah, store. They're right. eight, ten inches long. Those are two servings. So it's almost like 44 grams of carbs a banana. Right. And so you should be doing you know, uh, the standard diet, 45 to 60 grams of carbs in a meal. So... You know, think about that. You take that eight-inch banana and you have that for breakfast along with, uh, you know, a bagel, which is 60 to 70 grams of carbs if you eat yeah. both halves, um, plus anything you put on it that might be carbohydrate or you have a bowl of cereal. The cereal and the milk are carbs. Um, 
you know, you, you could walk away with 100 grams of carbs easily in a meal. And if you don't count for it and you're not aware of it, you're wondering in an hour or two hours, why is your blood sugar 250? Because oh. you didn't count it right. Well, what are you supposed to do with the other half of the banana? Save it for tomorrow. Uh-huh. Or buy the small <laughs> bananas. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the little mini bananas. Yeah. I like the little mini bananas. Those the, ones are cute. Are yeah, cool, I, but I, they're a serving size. They, they are. Mm-hmm. They're perfect. Um, so you, you really have to think about what you're buying and, and yeah. what you're eating. How, and what are grapes. you putting into your mouth? A lot of kids like to snack on grapes. Uh, and grapes. And you know what the serving size of grapes is? Like a half a cup or a fourth a cup. Ten. Ten grapes. Ten you ever grapes. eat just ten grapes? No. <laughs> Not even when I'm walking through the store. <laughs> eating right. my grapes. Oh, you do that too? Yes. Oh. Yeah, but ten grapes. Parents do that. Just reach into the fucking bag to take a couple. Yeah, yeah. especially with the cotton candy ones. Right, right, right. Oh, the cotton candy ones, yeah. So, and well, the cotton candy ones are the size of your thumb, so that's probably only about five. Yeah. Because they're bigger. So yeah, grapes have the highest concentration of sugar of all I the fruits. I believe that. That's why they. That's why, why they, they make wine. For fermentation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, when, I can't tell this. I'm eight, ten. I mean, even today at lunch, where somebody fixed it for me that should have known better. Uh, did I eat it? Yes, but I also counted insulin for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, really? This was approved by the Department of Health? Um, okay. Uh, no wonder we have fat kids. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I the, the, the menu went to the Department of yeah. Health for them no, to approve. Yeah, no, it did, and they approved it. And they approved it. So, yeah. So that's cool. So you earned your cape. Yes, they did. Right. Cape. Nice. Yeah. Every good superhero has a cape. Every superhero has a cape, you right. know that. Or, or a mask or something, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. Did you get a mask too? Yeah. Oh, I didn't get a mask. I only had a cape, so. Um, yeah. And mine didn't really fit that well, so. <laughs> um, yeah. So cool. That was a heck of a story. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at that one, that's the number one type podcast at gmail.com, that one type podcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned next week when we will hear Tim's origin story, how he got his cape, and lots of other things. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.